Amen. That was such a great testimony. And uh, I love just that story. I mean, what they went through and then, and then coming to Jesus and then Jesus showing them the way, showing them the direction. And I, I love what she said. You know, I had been planning a sermon for this week and I wanted to call it Let There Be Light. And even within her, her testimony before I'd heard it, before Jeremy showed it to me, you know, she made that, she made that statement. There was just such darkness around and I needed that light. And, uh, and that's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to shine a light into our darkest moments because that's who he is. He's the light of the world. Amen. And so as, as, as we move into kind of this, this Advent season, I want to I start to point us in the direction of meditating on the birth of Jesus and what that means for us. And that's what I want to speak about this morning is, is, is let there be light and how Christ comes and shines his light in the darkness of our lives. So I'm going to begin with Isaiah uh, chapter 9 verse 2. And then also I'll just read, I'll read verse 6. You can, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. I want to tell you also, you know, last week we received our uh, Awaken Hope campaign offering. And there's still some people that said they wanted to give, so we've not completely brought in everything. But last week uh, alone, we, we received about $40,000 for that. So amen. Thank you guys for your, for your generosity. And I'll, I'll give you a further update next week on some of that because, like I said before, we're going we're gonna to partner with uh, uh, Chad's Hope and also uh, Heart and Soul Life Center to try and help them out and see if we can't uh, help them in their ministry a little bit as well. So I'll let you know more about that next week. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, let's read this together. This is one of my favorite scriptures about the birth of Jesus. We sang about it this morning. But here's what it says. It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So let's pray together over this. Father, we thank you so much. I thank you just for that testimony. God, I've sensed your presence here. And I know, God, that every single one of us, we go through seasons of honestly great darkness. And sometimes we wonder where you're at. Sometimes we're under oppression, depression. Sometimes we're led astray and deceived. And God, our darkness, when we look at it, our world, what we see is, is actually darkness oftentimes more so than light. But Jesus, we declare and we know that you are the light of the world. And we know, God, that when we're in the middle of darkness, you come to shine your light. And this morning, I pray that you would do just that. And as we open your word, God, would you speak to our hearts? And God, would you do your work in us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Advent, this time of year, is, is really, really the time of year when you start to discuss the fact that, that the birth of Jesus was really an invasion. I mean, and in some ways, it was, it was an alien invasion. You know what I'm talking about? He came from heaven, and he came down to earth, and he took on flesh, and then he, he was invading a very dark world. He was invading a very dark system, and that's what the incarnation was, was that the light of the world came and shined in the middle of that darkness. Now, how many of you, you really, you really like the Christmas season? Like, if, if you ask people, well, I love it, I love it. And, and, and it's interesting because a lot of the things that we get tied up into in Christmas are not necessarily very Jesus-y, and the, the more that you dive into the things that our world is connected with, they celebrate the Christmas season, but they don't celebrate Christ that much. And it is easy to get distracted. Uh, but, but I think there are some things that bring us 
us together. One of the things that I noted, I was just kind of uh, thinking about Christmas. I know every year, I don't know how you women are, but like my, my mother-in-law and, 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 and my, my wife, man, they love Christmas decorations and they can do a good job. And I slip a disc every year like hauling Christmas decor into the house. I mean, I had a serious injury just last year, you know, into January, just trying to heal up from hauling Christmas decor. And, 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 you know, there's a, there's a lot of things involved. And, and every single year, one of the things that unites literally the world globally around Christmas is lights. You ever notice that? Like, we, we light stuff up. And I was wondering, like, where that came from because I like to know stuff. And, and boy, here's what I found out is, is that uh, uh, actually a guy named Martin Luther who was, you know, he was the leader of the Reformation in the Christian church. He was walking outside one night, walking home. He looks over at some beautiful evergreen trees, and he sees the stars shining through the trees and it so inspires him that he goes home lights some candles and hangs them on his trees people do that for the next couple hundred years and and that's something that just happened during the christmas time but guess what believe it or not it's pretty dangerous all right a lot of houses burnt down i don't suggest it Okay, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb somewhere around the 1880s. And when he invented the light bulb, he had this guy that worked for him, Edward Johnson. And Edward's making all kinds of light bulbs. And he's like, you know what? Forget the candles on the tree, dude. I'm going to make some light bulbs put on my tree. So he puts it out front on Fifth Avenue on his tree. And it became all, you know, all the rage in American culture. But and it wasn't until late or the early 1900s that another guy in Everready created the lights that we now put around our trees. But guess what? Whenever you first wanted some of them lights, you'd have had to pay the equivalent of $2,000 today to get some string lights for your trees. So bless the lamb. We can get cheap Walmart lights uh, to put on our trees. And I don't even know why I went through all that. I just read it this week. But I think the point is, is, is light means something to us. And, and, and we, we, this concept of light is throughout Scripture, and God reveals Himself as this light. And light, in my estimation of what I see in Scripture, is the foundational idea that God is coming for us. We are in darkness, and our hearts are in darkness, and yet God shines the light in that darkness, and Christ ultimately is that spiritual light. Even in the beginning, do you remember the story? The shepherds were watching over their flock at night in darkness. I doubt very seriously they were even seeing the flock very well, but they're guarding them against the wolves, and it's hard to do at night in the dark. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them. So literally, they lit up the dark night sky, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That night, darkness was pierced by the glory of the light of God, the Shekinah glory of God. These beings that are in the heavenlies that come down and descend and shine light in the darkness to declare to these people, listen, these shepherds were in physical darkness they were in socioeconomic darkness they were the the poorest people of their day at that time they were in governmental and political darkness because they were under roman rule they couldn't necessarily worship god freely they were under oppression they were in various forms of darkness and the angels come to nobodies and shine a light in the middle of that darkness to point to them that there is a great light that has come and we want you to see him because uh, the king has been born today in the city of bethlehem Amen. So not, when we look at the world, like if you look at the world and you say, man, I look at it and like, things look good. How many people say that nowadays? Anybody? 
When you look at the world, you don't say, man, it, you know, it, it's, just, it's just like, it's bright. Our future is good. When you think about America and the world and the direction it's heading, it just looks wonderful. No, when we look at our world, even this week, I'll be honest with you, sometimes I get overwhelmed with how many reports of sickness and death and all of these different things. The greatest darkness that we face in this world ultimately is, is death. And it happens constantly, and we're trying to resist it, and we're trying to fight it. And we, we actually have the only religion, and God in Christ is the only person who has a good, solid answer for death. Because He defeated it. Amen? But there's this darkness that we all face, and you see that ultimately God is bringing this light into our world, but the darkest place found in creation is oftentimes our, our human hearts. And this is what... Forty days later, after Jesus is born, Mary and Joseph take him into the temple. And there's this guy named Simeon. Now, what's so interesting is he's been serving God. And Jesus comes into the temple as a baby. He's a 40-day-old baby. And as the custom of the law is, they bring him into the temple. He would have looked like any other baby. But Simeon is led by the Holy Spirit to understand this is the light of the world. And Simeon begins to proclaim. And here's what he says in Luke 2, verse 30. He says, "...for my eyes have seen your salvation." that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And what does he say? He says he's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. So once again, glory and light is at the center of the story. Now, why does light re run throughout the entirety of Scripture? Because here's the thing. When you think about God Himself, what does God say about Himself over and over again? Not just that He's the creator of light, not just that He is the idea of light, but God Himself is light. And every time you see light, I want you to look at Christmas lights on your tree. And I want you to think about the fact that God himself is light. The idea didn't just come from him. He is that. Every other light is a reflection of who God is in his nature. And this is what scripture says, James 1.17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You can't put a light on this side of God and cast a shadow on the back end because he is a light that shines brighter than every other light that exists. There's no changing in him. He's always good, always flawless, never sinful, never wrong, always faithful. He is perfect he doesn't change like shifting shadows he is the light of the world in first timothy you see paul and john start to talk about him and, and it says in first timothy 6 in verse 14 to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our lord jesus christ which he will display at the proper time he who is the blessed and only sovereign the king of kings and lord of lords who alone has immortality who dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion amen first john 1 5 says this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that god is light and in him is no darkness at all Every time God reveals himself, there's a brilliance, there's a light, there's some sort of clarity that comes to people on, on a revelation of who God is. In Psalm 104.2 it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment. So here's my question. How can you actually know a being who is immortal and who dwells in unapproachable light? No one has ever seen him in his fullness because it says if you were to see him in his fullness, you would die. Even Moses saw the back parts of God. 
No one has ever seen. The, the, the most full picture we have ever seen of God is the incarnation of God Himself in Christ. He is the full revelation of God. He's the full manifestation. But if you saw God in all of His glory, God packaged Himself in human form so that He could mediate between man and God. Because if you saw God in all of His glory and the fullness of light, it would vaporize you. Amen. You ain't ready for it. <laughs> You're not ready for it. You're not ready for the glory of God. When we talk about the glory of God manifesting, we are talking about minuscule measures of the presence of God being deposited into our lives because we just couldn't handle all of it. We can't even imagine how great and how magnificent and how power the, powerful the maker of the universe is. And the only way that you can have contact and know someone who is immortal, a being who is immortal and dwells in unapproachable light, is if he chooses to reveal himself to you. And in Christ Jesus, God the Father has chosen to reveal himself to us. And that's a beautiful gift. That someone that, is, that we are incapable of viewing or seeing or knowing He has chosen, I want a relationship with them. And I'm going to shine light and mediate it to, to them in such a way that they can see it clearly. And that light they will see the most clearly, clearly in the person of my son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes into our darkness in his birth. And he grows up and he reveals the light that God is in our world. And he shines in the darkness of our life. And here's the thing. I can think of a lot of different darknesses that we face. And I hear about darkness all the time. I'm going to give you five darknesses really quickly that I believe we all face at some time or another. If you put that up for us. Number one, circumstantial darkness. And when we, whenever we have circumstantial darkness, what we actually experience, I think, most is anxiety. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like you have a situation in your life. It could be that your, your, your children are acting a fool and you don't know what to do with them. It could be that you are living in a place that is, that is abusive or, or that you have, a, you have relationship issues or you have marital problems or there could be all kinds of different circumstances. Maybe you've gotten a doctor's report recently that has is, that is horrified you or you're battling with this different thing. Maybe you're de dealing with some kind of mental issue and you don't know how to move forward. But this circumstantial darkness is kind of shrouding over you and because of that you have great anxiety and great fear about what's going to happen in the future. How many of y'all ever been there? circumstantial darkness and then all of a sudden we have something called directional darkness and I love the way uh, that Aaron said it in his testimony because he said they was in this whirlwind in this chaos in this directional darkness where he has no idea where to go he sits on a rock with God God shines the light brings revelation and all of a sudden he sees a clear path that God is telling him to go forward but oftentimes we have a directional darkness and we and we have confusion we don't know where to go at this point in my life. What am I supposed to do with my job? What am I supposed to do with my family? What's the next season in my life look like? And this darkness sort of comes over us and we face confusion in our lives. Sometimes we have existential darkness. We're just kind of asking the question. I get people that come to me all the time. They're hopeless. What am I even here for? What's my purpose? What, what, what point is, 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 is everything that I'm doing here on this planet? And, and is God even good? Can God actually even be trusted? If all of these things are happening in the world, how can we actually trust God? How do we know that He's good? And we have this existential darkness where we're questioning our lives and God Himself and what's going on. And then we face something called moral darkness. And when we look at our world, honestly, people are now calling evil good and good evil. And, and this is the shape that we face. But I want to say this. I'm going to take some time here in a minute to point out some things in the world. But you know, Advent is not so much about effectively pointing the darkness in the world as it is revealing the darkness in our own hearts. 
It's about allowing the light of God to shine into our own hearts because often we face this issue of moral darkness. The scripture, John 3, Jesus said this. He says that he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. But then he says this right after John 3.16, and most people don't know this one as well as John 3.16, but he says this is the judgment that light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. You believe that? I do. It's the Word of God. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. A lot of times, I get that the church is often bad. The church has done some bad things. There's been darkness in the church. But oftentimes when people are rejecting Jesus Christ, they will blame the church or they'll blame this or that. But oftentimes, the real issue at hand is they are living in darkness and they do not want to come into the light because they want to hold on to a measure of darkness that they don't want to let go of. That's really the reality more times than not. And even within the family of God, when you start to see a disconnection in fellowship, oftentimes darkness is trying to encroach upon a person's heart and life. And it's something that you have to pay attention to because when you somehow or another start to not like the light that much, darkness may be taking hold. And so this is what he says in Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Let me tell you something. This word ignorance is a huge word. So many people play with darkness today because they are ignorant. God said in one place that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Ignorance is sometimes a very big issue in the church because we just don't see what's right in front of our faces. But he says it's due to the hardness of their heart, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Has anybody ever been in that situation? I've actually lived a season in my life where I was legitimately greedy to practice every kind of impurity. My entire life I had become so callous that I only wanted the next thing that was going to make me feel good. I wanted the next high, I wanted the next sexual encounter, I wanted the next drunkenness, I wanted the next party, I was filled with anger, I was filled with depression, I was filled with selfishness and hatred, and all I wanted to do was to get my next selfish fix. I was greedy to practice every kind of impurity, and darkness flooded my heart. And I would sit at night in the darkness and wonder why I was in the shape that I was in, having linked with such darkness. Amen. Many of us find ourselves in that very specific place and many people have experienced moral darkness not even that they've done but moral darkness that has been done to them people that have been abused people that have been hurt or affected in many different ways in this particular case and it's not just let me tell you this here's the thing when we talk about moral darkness I know today there's a big mental health craze, and mental health is a serious thing. People need to learn to renew their minds and receive counseling. Counselors can help you. People can help you in a variety of ways. But can I tell you this, that not every issue is a mental issue. Not every issue is a mental health issue. Sometimes, and here's what I want to say to people, you can get all the counseling in the world, you can get loads and loads of medication, but Jesus Christ is the answer to the darkness within. 
And I know it's important that people understand that many mental issues that we face, at the core of them is a spiritual issue. And as Christians, we can't just push Jesus over into the side and use the things that may be sometimes good, but negate the fact that at the end of the day, Christ is the light of the world that comes to bring an order to your life. So it's important to understand that. And here's my fifth one, and here's where it'll get a little bit strange for a Christmas message, but demonic darkness. And in demonic darkness, what we face is deception. Deception. I remember uh, in 2005, I went to the great institution of Eastern Kentucky University. Amen. Anybody been there? Any graduates? Great, great wonderful place. I lived in Richmond. And, um, and I'll say this. I remember specifically, I was so... I had many addictions, I had many struggles. Some of y'all know my story, I don't want to spend a lot of time in that. But one of the things I remember specifically is being so hungry for the truth. And what I learned in this institution was I was presented almost immediately in some of my classes with intellectual atheism. And I started to read Karl Marx and Friedrich Nietzsche and, and, and Rene Descartes. To which, after I've read them for about 20 years, I now understand that essentially, at the core of their philosophies, it is demonic. It took me a while to figure that out. Right? Amen. Because what they believe in is authentic self-expression, which is exactly the same thing that the church of Satan wants. Do what thou wilt. Express yourself freely with no restraints. It's always been the same demonic philosophies at its core that comes with these other religions. But because they, they, they wrap it in all these intellectual bow ties, you think, man, this is brilliant. This is fantastic. And it's leading people astray into a deceptive way of life. But here's the thing. So I dabbled with that for a while, but I said, I don't really like this. I don't believe that. There's something. I don't believe that there's only this world, only the physical things that I could touch. I realized there was a supernatural world out there. I don't really had too many weird encounters. Anybody amen me? There's something else out there in the unseen realm. So I said, what is it? And I remember going into a bookstore that was there at the time. It's no longer there in Richmond. It was Hastings back in those days. And I don't, have y'all ever been, have y'all been into a Barnes and Nobles lately, like a Barnes and Noble, or do you know what they usually have out front? They don't have Bibles, I can tell you that. They don't have the Christmas story, they don't have a nativity scene. What they have out front now usually are various false forms of religions and spirituality. When I went to Hastings, I remember in 2005, I don't know if y'all realize this, it was almost, you know, it was a while back. When I went into Hastings, the biggest section in the spirituality, if you're going seeking truth, was New Age religion at the time. And what I'm finding now, honestly, interestingly enough, is that, is that a lot of Christians are actually more New Age than they are Christian. Because they mix more ideas and concepts and they put out good vibes. That is a clear New Age practice. Vibrations, energies. Well, she's got a good energy. Well, praise God. Here's the thing, you know, I know I preached this stuff this morning. Some of y'all be like, well, why is he even getting into that? Because our world is entering headlong into a mass deception. And we're just asleep at the wheel, y'all. We have no idea what's actually going on in darkness. And it's, and it's going at a rate that you cannot imagine. And meanwhile, we're just sitting back in the comfort of our home just acting like it ain't no big deal while demonic stuff is manifesting itself in the forefront. You can go into these shops and, you know, I, I like what she's... What, 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 uh, what was said in the, in the, 
in the testimony video this morning that she, for a moment, she sought numerology. She, she sought astrology. These things, folks, at the base core of them, they're demonic. They're designed to lead you astray. I'm finding more and more every single year we have to counsel people, young people who are demonized because they are dabbling more and more every single year in witchcraft. You know how they're finding it? TikTok. They, they, get, they, get, they get excited about it. And not only that, they are influenced by people who are influencing them, and they don't, they don't preach Christ, y'all. They preach demonic doctrines and blatant witchcraft. Yeah, say, Clay, you're crazy this morning. Well, I'm going to tell you something. You say, I may be weird this morning. It's going to be a lot weirder if you don't get any discernment. It's going to get a lot weirder in your home because your kids are exposed to these things every day, and I'm seeing it more and more and more. And let, let me, can you care if I get real crazy for a minute, and then I'll pull it back. <laughs> I'll pull it back. Because th this week, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit was, was, was really messing with my heart about things. And here's the thing. I can remember, like, even as a, as a young guy, listening to, like, certain rap artists or musicians or things like that. And, and, and I, I was kind of blinded to it. I didn't see the demonic in it at that point. And I was just consuming it and ingesting it and wondering why I was turning out the way that I was. <laughs> wondering why I went to bed scared to death every night. Like, you know, how's that happen? I remember uh, Jay-Z, uh, I don't know if you realize this or not, he used to have a song, I used to listen to him, he said, my name is Hove, H to the O-V. He used to roll the snowflake by the O-Z. Uh, um, but I, I listened to that, you know, and I would rap that out or whatever. And, but Hove, he's mocking God. He's calling himself God. He says, I'm Hove, H to the O-V. It's, it's a joke on Jehovah in which he's calling himself God. took me a while to realize that. But he actually said in a newer song here recently, uh, there was a song called The Empire State of Mind that he did with Alicia Keys, and he said, Hail Mary to the city, you're a virgin, and Jesus can't save you. Life starts when the church ends. And your kids listen to that. Right? And we, but oh, it's nothing. They don't really mean that. <laughs> Y'all ain't laughing now. I remember in 2012, this is one of the, when, when I was really kind of getting into this stuff, I remember in 2012, and I found a picture of it. If you put that first picture, I'm going to try to go through this quickly because it's so demonic I about throw up. In 2012, this was Nicki Minaj at the, uh, at, at the, at the Grammy Awards doing this, Levitation. She was faking being possessed or, or, or whatever it is. Maybe she wasn't faking it. I don't know. Uh, if, if you look now, there's a guy named Lil Nas X. He made a pair of shoes, and, and he put a pentagram on the top of them, and there's 666 shoes that he put his own blood in. And then as an act of mockery, he puts Luke 10, 18. Here's another picture from one of his music videos. That was by far not the worst one that he's got. By far. And he became radically popular. I saw somebody last night that is one of the most demonic artists that I've ever seen that kids listen to and extremely popular. She got over like, she's got like 50 million views on a video that is one of the most blatantly demonic things that I've ever seen. And I'm not up here just trying to harp on it. What I'm trying to say is Christians are asleep at the wheel and have no idea how the demonic and the satanic is actually trying to infect our worldview right now and trying to grab a hold of our children. And I'm going to say, here's, here's the thing. I, I cannot allow the people under my watch to say that's okay. It's not that big of a deal. You're blinded. You're in darkness. Amen. Sam Smith at the beginning of this year, I don't know if you remember that wonderful performance. At the Grammys, in public view, and this one's really going to hurt y'all's feelings because I know we got a bunch of Swifties in here. But here's a picture of Taylor Swift in her, one of her new music videos. 
in which she says, karma is my boyfriend, karma is a god. No, karma is a heretical Buddhist ideology, and behind it are demons who consider themselves to be lowercase g gods, and she confesses it, and your children listen to it. And not only do they listen to it, they go to her concerts where they raise their hands and worship harder than I've ever seen anybody worship in the church. Somebody said, well, we're going to quit church. I don't care anymore. I mean, because here's the thing. At some point, what you see at creation was Jesus, God, did something very specifically. He separated light from the darkness. And I'm not, look, and here's the problem. Somebody said, well, you know, our kids have been listening to Taylor Swift for a long time. I'm not here to condemn that. I, I quoted Taylor Swift a while back. You know what I'm saying? I'm not here to condemn you in that. What I'm here to do is appeal to you to say, open your eyes. Pay attention to what's actually going on in the mainstream because Satan is behind it and the demonic is behind it and he's pulling the wool over your eyes while they flaunt it openly knowing that you think it's just a joke. The good news is these people are getting saved. I saw recently Kat Von D. She got saved recently, and I believe it was a genuine conversion. She takes all of her witchcraft books out. She does an interview talking about how that witchcraft, how the things that she was involved in, how they were darkness, and all the people that she knew that were in it were, were basically just miserable. And she found Jesus, and Jesus came to her and set her free. And, you know, the thing about I heard somebody say this earlier. Like, atheism is almost on its way out. Because everybody is so aware of the supernatural realm now that you almost have to be a fool, which you do have to be a fool to be an atheist. Because the supernatural is, is so evident. People are pushing into the things of the supernatural and dabbling in all kinds of religions and there's all sorts of power. I remember when Oprah using New Age back in 2005 was having healing testimonies. And people said, well, this is an awesome thing. She believes in God. My question is, which God? Which God? There's deception, demonic deception. Is this okay this morning? All right, let me move out. So to understand light and darkness throughout the entirety of Scripture, first of all, you've got to go back to the very beginning, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this is so interesting because He begins with a very specific name. In the beginning, Elohim, God. And this name, Elohim, it's, it, it, His is capitalized because He's the God of all gods. And when we talk about the gods of the Old Testament that people worshipped, I need you to understand that they weren't worshipping something that wasn't real. They were worshipping something that was very real. They were worshipping demonic principalities that were created beings. And so when we use the word lowercase g gods or we say Baal, it wasn't something that they made up in their minds. It was a demonic principality that they were giving allegiance to. Amen. And you need to understand that. You need to understand that worldview because when people start talking about gods and false religions and they have ritualistic practices in their music that they send to your children, they are worshiping, my friends, false gods. And I don't know if you have that in your worldview or not. And it's important to understand. So there are Elohim uppercase and there's Elohim lowercase false gods. But it says in the beginning, the one true God created the heavens and the earth. And in Genesis 2, 4, it says these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So in Genesis 1, 1, he's Elohim. He's the uppercase God over all the gods. But then here is a different name given. The Lord God, Yahweh or Jehovah. This is his covenantal revealing 
revelational, relational name. So basically he's saying, I'm the God over all of the other beings and not just that. I'm the one who created all other beings. These are all other created beings. But then he says, I'm not just like Baal or I'm not just like any of these other false gods. I'm Yahweh, which means I want to be in a loving covenantal relationship with you. I am your creator, but I want relationship with you. And so he begins to create and he creates something out of nothing. And even when he creates, it says that there is no light. He creates, but there is no light in the beginning. And in Genesis 1-2, notice this. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So in the beginning, before the, anything was uncreated, there was actually a darkness there, but if you look at a broader picture, it's not just nothingness. It is a foreboding, rebellious, chaotic, forceful darkness that is from the beginning trying to resist God and what He's doing. From the beginning. From the outset. And so... It doesn't really make sense if I read it because how is there water when water has not even been created yet? Have you ever thought about that? Now, if you're an atheist, you say, see, that Bible's dumb. No, it's a lot smarter than you are. I can promise you that. <laughs> Revelation 21.1 said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first, first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So there was a sea in the beginning before the sea had even been created, and then in the end when God makes all things right and restores the kingdom, then He says the sea is gone. And I'm thinking, Lord, you're going to give me a glorified body. You know how much I love the beach. And I'm going to be able to surf like nobody's business, and you're going to take away the sea in the end? But this is not what He's trying to say. He's pointing to something very specific which is actually throughout Scripture that people don't look at a whole lot. But if you pay attention, what you will see over and over again are strange, demonic creatures that reside in the sea. They're hostile, they're proud, they're raging, and they're destructive forces of chaos that oppose God and threaten the actual creation throughout all of Scripture. Psalm 74 says it like this, verse 12 through 14. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea. That is a, a, a Hebrew word, yam, which was a false god worshipped by the Arabs, and he was a deification of the sea. By your might, you broke the heads of the sea monsters. Again, the Hebrew word, tananim, which was another false god worshipped by some of the ancients around them. And then finally he says, you crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him his food for the creatures of the wilderness. And what he's saying is, in the beginning, in creation, you defeated this darkness. In the beginning, in creation, you overcame those principalities and powers and demonic dark forces that tried to resist you in laying claim to the earth, but you said, no, no, no. you got to understand, I am the God of all gods. I am the creator of all things, and I have a power that no other God can compare to. Though they will try to boast and exalt themselves in the earth, I will always demonstrate that my light is more powerful. I'll always demonstrate that. So you have Yam, you've got Leviathan, you've got Rahab, you've got Behemoth. And when you were a kid, if you went to Bible school and you know, they taught you, they'd say, well, those are dinosaurs. No, no, no. These are supernatural beings. And Scripture backs it up over and over and over again. It means that there was spiritual darkness already resisting God by the second verse in the Bible. And this is a rebuke. When they wrote this, when Moses wrote this, this was a rebuke to the surrounding nations to say all of the false gods that you worship, our God is greater because our God is creator and you're worshiping something that is inferior and ultimately they are going to submit to the power of our God. 
Ultimately, they will always be overcome. Ephesians 6.12, have you read this before? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting even the Democratic Party, my friends. We're not, we're not fighting ideologies or Marxism or any of these things. Behind all of the things that you see darkness involved in, he says we're not fighting flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And what's so interesting to me is that the cosmic powers and forces of darkness, get this, y'all, there was a time when they did their best work being hidden. That's what darkness is. You can hide in the dark. But why is it now, all of a sudden, at the end here, there's this culmination where the darkness is beginning to push itself out into the forefront. It's coming out of hiding. It's blatant mockery, and sometimes we just sort of wink at it and say, that's all right, it ain't no big deal. No, there is a, there's coming a time where you have to recognize that God has separated the light from the darkness. And He's called us to shine as a light in the darkness. And you've got to determine whether or not you're going to continue to play with these things or you're going to make a decisive decision to say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, getting, I'm not meddling with this stuff anymore. I'm not getting in this anymore. And so... This rebellion was taking place in the beginning. It continues to take place. And, and it's trying to resist the light of God. But see, the book of Revelation says there's no sea because what he's saying is in the end, these powers do not win. In the end, these powers are ultimately vanquished when the King of kings and Lord of lords returns and he destroys them all with the brightness of his coming. Amen. So Genesis 1-2, again, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Notice this, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So even then, back at creation, the Spirit of God was keeping that darkness in check, saying ultimately you cannot thwart the plans of God. He's keeping darkness in check while simultaneously bringing about creation. And right now, I don't care how bad the world looks, I don't care if you're in situational, directional darkness, I don't, even over Taylor Swift right now, here's what I believe in, praise God, that the Spirit of God is hovering over the darkness. And He can speak light into that situation in a moment of time and turn everything around. I believe even some of these people that are behind the star, it's not that we should hate them or reject them. We should love them and intercede for them and believe for their salvation just like Kat Von D, praise God. Like, and, and here's the thing, I'm not, it's not that I'm pointing out here, but what I'm saying is we live in a generation where our young people are actually not taught by their parents, they're taught by social media, and these are the people they see. Amen. These are the people they see. And so you have to be aware of that. So in Genesis 1-3, the Holy Spirit is hovering over that darkness. What does God say? Let there be light, and there was light. And you've got to let that linger for a minute, because when God says something, there is nothing that can stop it. And the first statement He made was, let there be light, and there was light. And get this, y'all. I don't know if you realize this or not. He didn't create the sun and the moon until day four. What kind of light is he talking about? He's talking about something far different. He's talking about his presence and his glory emanating throughout the earth to bring order and structure and expose that darkness. That evil rebellion that is at work in the hiddenness behind the scenes. That stuff needs to be exposed. And if you're the light of the world, in a lot of ways you expose it by the way that you live and by the word that you speak out of your mouth. And so he says, let there be... Light, and this rushes you forward in time back to the manger because the story of Jesus and His identity 
is connected to the creation story. John says it like this right out of the gate in John chapter 1. In the beginning was what? The Word. That's Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now get this. Then when He said, let there be light, Christ was going forth spiritually out into the world, the Word of God going forth. And it says this, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This Word goes out from God's mouth. The Son of God emanates. The pre-incarnate Christ emanates from Him and it immediately brings order to the chaos. It immediately pushes back the darkness and says, boys, you all don't have control down here. I am the one over all of this. Yeah, there's some rebellious creatures that rebelled against God in the beginning and they're still trying to thwart His plans. Can I tell you something? The pictures that I showed you, is there any way that a human being without some kind of spiritual influence would even think up in their mind, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's make a music video and put ourselves in dark clothing with demons all around and a devil's mask on. Excellent idea. Y'all like, Clay, you went crazy this morning. Y'all know this is as true as I'm sitting here standing telling it. Where does that stuff come from? Why is it so blatant? The world's in deception, demonic darkness. But Christ is shining. Colossians 1.15, The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, he's talking about demonic principalities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things are held together. He was the pre-incarnate word of God that spoke all things into existence. He holds all things together. He keeps the earth in its place. He keeps the waters and the shores at bay. He is the one that holds our very being together and keeps our hearts beating. He is the one that created all things and even the powers and the principalities and the authorities he is over them all because ultimately they were made for him and they will bow their knee to him jesus is the logos he is the word of god the divine logic he's the system of all systems he's not just a divine force but he's a personal knowable god who loves you more than you can imagine and he has through his death and resurrection, defeated all the powers of darkness, disarmed them, put his spirit in you, the very light of God within your heart so that you can overcome Satan and the demonic in this world. So we're talking about darkness, obviously. I don't know if you realize that or not. And here's the thing. Most of you say, well, you know, I don't listen to Taylor Swift, so what can... What's, what? <laughs> but here's the thing. You come in here this morning and you got the darkness of couples going through marriage issues you've got the darkness of a person in financial trouble you've got the darkness of mental illness or depression you've got the darkness of abuse or addiction you've got the darkness of rage in your own heart the emptiness that you're now feeling how do i move forward with the direction of my life you're facing a darkness and advent doesn't dismiss the darkness it just says that the darkness is not the end Advent is a time where we recognize the reality of the world we live in and we're longing for the light to fully shine in all of the darkness until it is fully overcome. And I love what this scripture says because it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God and all things were created. It's all past tense until it comes to one particular phrase. And then it says, the light in verse 5 shines in the darkness 
and the darkness has not overcome it. So everything up to this point is past tense. But this statement here, the light shines, is continual present tense, which means it shined in the beginning, it continues to shine, and it will always shine, and never at no point will the darkness ever overcome it. See, I can sit and get tore up about a lot of the things that are going on in the world today. And I can see this darkness. I watched a video last night that I grieved and went home and almost threw up. Anybody amen me? I don't know how you feel when you see this type of thing. The darkness. And I see that, but, and I think to myself, man, raising a child in this world. You want to protect them. You want to nurture them. You want to... But here's what I know, is that ultimately that darkness does not overcome the light. We have an inferior power, but we, we have a superior power to any darkness. But we have to believe that and know that in Christ, the light is always shining. But here's my final question, and we're going to close it. But the question is, are we actually opening ourselves up to the light, or are we having fellowship with the darkness? Are we opening ourselves up to the light of God, or are we in fellowship with the darkness without fully realizing it? It's a tough question to ask, isn't it? Yeah. Difficult question. You know, when Jesus would show up on the scene, demons would manifest in horror. We know who you are. You're the Son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? Do you know why they would manifest so blatantly in Scripture? Because He was absolute light. And they knew when He walked into the room, we're exposed. The light just turned on in here. They can hide real easily when everybody's wallowing around in darkness. But all of a sudden when that light switch gets flipped on and Christ shines into it, it is exposed. And see, that's, that's why I'm preaching what I'm preaching this morning. Somebody might say, well, I just don't like the taste of that clay. I mean, it's not very seeker sensitive. Like what if somebody come in and they didn't really feel good about that? Can I tell you what Scripture says? It doesn't say allow people to live in a gray area. It doesn't say allow people to flirt with darkness. It actually says in Ephesians 5, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, get this, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Are we opening ourselves up to the light of Christ? Or are, we, or are we allowing the darkness of this world to encroach in upon us? It's a good question. I want to finish with three invitations here. What does it mean for us to open ourselves up to the light of God, to live in the light and not in darkness? Number one, we must confess the darkness within. I thank God for His grace and His mercy because I've got as many struggles as the next person. And what I know and I realize and have come to realize is that if I'm going to allow God's light to shine into my heart, there are times when I must confess the darkness within. And, and here's the thing. Christians should be the first people to actually recognize and be willing to say, these are the weaknesses that I struggle with. Here's the faults that I have. I think sometimes people are a, a, a little bit led away from Christianity because they see sort of religious uptight people who project themselves as being perfect when in reality, what we should say is, no, here, here's my weaknesses, here's my struggles, but I'm overcoming by the power of the Holy Spirit and because the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And God is overcoming that which in me, which is darkness. 1 John 1, 5-9, it says, This is the message we have heard from, the, from Him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. 
If we, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a time when God shines a light into our life and it is an invitation of love to say, look, I get it. There's been darkness around. Maybe you've even participated in the darkness, but here's the point. I love you and I'm shining the light in that darkness. Not so that you would run or so that you would be condemned, so that you could come to a place where you understand I'm the one that shined the light in the darkness in the first place I've not come to reject you by exposing the darkness I've come to say there's a way out of the darkness let me give you a hand and show you this way into the light he loves us that much I remember when God came into my life trying all kinds of false religions and new age practices addicted to drugs and pornography and every other thing in the world and Jesus shined that light into my life split the darkness it broke off of my life and he said son it's time to come out of this I've been waiting on you and he smiled at me in love and said this is this is what I've been longing to do he didn't reject me he didn't give me a hard time over the darkness that I had been involved in. He was so happy to finally see me repent and come out of it and confess it as what it was, my own personal darkness. He said, walk in the light. This guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn said, the line separating good and evil passes not through states or between classes or between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. It's easy for me to get up and point it people on a stage doing satanic rituals being in the occult it's more difficult for us to say but what is the darkness that is within our own heart amen number two be a source of light for those in darkness one guy said be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle you recognize that and i hope that even though i've been a little bit strong this morning I hope that you see the kindness of God in this. I, I feel like sometimes we think the kindness of God is, is to just be very soft and, and gentle and never confront anything. But it's in God's kindness that He pursues us in darkness and exposes it and says, that is dangerous. Do not touch that. Get out of that. Do not be a partaker with those things. That is the kindness and the mercy of God. It's the kindness and the mercy of God. But to be a source of light to those in darkness is to become a gentle and a caring person, but also a person who is willing to walk in truth and confront certain issues in people's hearts. I've been counseling people for years now, and I've even worked with a company where I counsel multiple people every day, and every single time what would happen is it would come to a place where I would push into their darkness intentionally, and they would say to me, well, I'm going to share this with you, but I've never told anyone this. And when they started to unpack those things, what you saw was those demonic powers losing their grip over their lives. That darkness came into the light, and Jesus shined His light in that darkness and began to set them free from what was holding them and binding them. You can be a source of light to somebody. Lastly, number three is do not fear the darkness. Some of you, you may be in circumstantial darkness right now. You may be wondering how you're going to move forward. You may be wondering the next step in your life. You may have a lot of questions. But I want to say this to you. God sometimes does His best work in the darkness. It was in the beginning when darkness was hovering over the waters that He said, let there be light, and He brought about His creative work. 
And sometimes it's in our greatest darkness. I've found that people will come to me and it's like darkness is overwhelming them, but all of a sudden God is setting them up for a revelation of light like they've never had before. Like they've never had before. The beauty of the light is far more beautiful when you're in the middle of the darkness. You know, in Exodus 20, verse 20 and 21, it said, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. This is when they had received the Ten Commandments. That the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the point that I want to make here is sometimes when you're in the darkness, God is not that darkness because He is light and there is no, but He is in the middle of that darkness. And He's setting you up to shine into that. No matter what situation you may be in, Jesus wants to turn on the lights in that place and He wants to say, let there be light. Let there be light in this situation. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me. And I want you to consider where is it that that light needs to shine the most. This morning, as you think about what type of darkness you may be in or what type of darkness you have experienced or even a fellowship that you may be participating in some type of darkness. And God's putting a finger and shining a light on that and saying, it's time to come out of that. It's time to, to let me show you a new path and show you a new way. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would shine on each of those areas. And just like we said, there's a place where we confess the darkness within. And so I want you to take some time with the Lord this morning to allow Him to bring light into that dark place wherever it may be. You bring that to Him. Because when you bring that to Him, He doesn't come with condemnation. He doesn't come with anger. He doesn't come with judgment. But He comes with a love that has been longing to wrap you up in His arms, to forgive you of whatever it is that you have done, to wash you and cleanse you in His blood, and to pour the light and the power of the Holy Spirit within your heart to bring about a change in that area. So if you're here this morning and you've not given your life to Jesus and you want to do that, and you want to follow Him as an act of faith, would you just raise your hand between me and you and God and just say, that's me. Just raise your hand this morning and say, that's me. I want, to, I want to take a step this morning. I want to follow Jesus. Anybody in here? Anybody at all? And for the rest of us, I, I want us to just come to the Lord. Maybe you're dealing with some kind of darkness, but I want you to take a moment. They're going to sing. They're going to pray. They're going to worship. And I want us to respond. Maybe you come around this altar. Here's the thing. You can sit at your seat. Ain't nobody going to judge you if you come around this altar. I know this is one of those messages where it's like, well, if I go to the altar, they're going to think I'm in the awfulest shape ever was. But you know what we all need? We all need light. And we all need the love of God. So I want you to take a moment here to respond to God in whatever way you see fit. If you need prayer, come around this altar. We'd be glad to pray for you. Let's take a minute and respond to the Lord.